Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 705 with Jeremy Pollock. Jeremy has got some expert perspective on how you can manage conflict effectively, minimize the frustration, the resentment, the yucky feelings that can show up. So you'll learn one, the six basic needs at the heart of conflict, two, three tactics for keeping your calm in conflict, and three, how to handle a conflict that's just going nowhere. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to as we've referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP705. And now here's Jeremy's story. Jeremy Pollock is a leader in the field of workplace conflict resolution and peace building. He's the founder of Pollock Peace Building Systems, the largest workplace conflict resolution consulting firm in North America, and a regular contributor on the topics of leadership and organizational conflict management, the publications such as Forbes.com, Fast Company, Industry Week, and many more. Jeremy's also the author of the recently released book, The Conflict Resolution Playbook, Practical Communication Skills for Preventing, Managing, and Resolving Conflict. Big thanks to Jeremy for sharing his wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Jeremy. Jeremy, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hey, Pete. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, I'm excited to dig into your wisdom. You've got a wealth of experience when it comes to conflict resolution. And I'd love to hear, for starters, what's one of the most surprising and counterintuitive discoveries you've made about conflicts and resolving them? Ah, that's a good question. So I'm not even sure that this is totally counterintuitive, but it's just something that that has dawned on me through the work that I've been that I've done is that someone approach attitude etc in a conflict really dictates the way that others are also going to, to interact with them so if you're in an escalated state it will escalate other people and if you if you aren't in, it'll help de-escalate and so one thing that I've worked on with people for instance is what I call being generous with your heart, essentially, which is making the first concession. And sometimes people feel like, well, why do I always have to be the bigger person or something like that? But if you start to cross that line and be a little bit generous, be a little bit more open, maybe a little bit more vulnerable, it usually opens the door for someone else to do the same. Because a lot of people are trying to save face, especially when they're resolving conflict. They don't want to admit they're wrong and they don't want to admit the other person's right or something like that. So if if someone is willing to make that first concession and say something like, you know what? I think you're right. Or you know what? Mm-hmm. You're not wrong. Or or just a- admit that there's a sphere of possibility that someone is not necessarily wrong or right. 
and be a little bit vulnerable, it actually opens up the space. So I don't know if that's counterintuitive, but it was something that it seems almost intuitive, but it dawned on me through the work that like, this is really important, an important step in, in resolving conflict. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that concession, like, hey, you're right. It's like, they don't have to be right about the core contentious piece, hmm. but it sounds like if this is fair, you could give them some bit of, of a concession, affirmation, validation on anything. Like, hey, it totally makes sense that you're trying to look out for what's best for your building or your tenants or your employees. And they're like, yeah, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and so it's like, and that, that costs you nothing. Absolutely. I mean, if you could just find one point of agreement, especially if it's like a deeper level agreement, an agreement on a, a core value or a core interest or a core need or something, if you just find one point of agreement, that opens up a sphere there of possibility to start collaborating. So someone can see you not as necessarily an opponent, but they start to see you as, okay, this is someone who's essentially becoming a partner in this resolution process. Mm-hmm. So it's a, I mean, it's as simple as when you say the words, you know what, I think you're right about that. Or when you say the words, I agree with you that that's important. Mm-hmm. Or that concerns me too. You're right. Those kinds of things, it suddenly it takes you out of the opponent mode and into a mode of we're on the same team potentially. We've just come from different perspectives or different positions. We need to figure out how to get aligned in some way. But we do have some shared or common values there. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Cool. Well, hey, yeah. so we got one tip off the bat. So maybe you can zoom out a bit and tell us your book, The Conflict Resolution Playbook. What's the core idea here? The playbook is really aimed at being a very practical step-by-step book for different types of conflict scenarios. So for both personal and professional life, there's, I think we've, you know, we've got, you know, several chapters, you know, 15 chapters on just different types of conflicts and give a little bit of an example of what could happen and then some techniques to help resolve, manage, or transform the conflict. So it's, it's meant to be like a very step-by-step like playbook as it's written in the, in the title. Mm-hmm. And, and so I understand that the psychology of human needs is, is a big part of this. Can you unpack for us? What are some of the, the core needs that we got to have in mind as we're engaging in these conversations? Yeah, there's a wide research field in human needs theory, and it's been done in in different types of fields and from economics to psychology to anthropology, and there's consensus on certain needs. But essentially, I've done a lot of research in this field, and it seems to me I've focused on six core needs, essentially. But some of the really basic ones are a safety. So it's not not physical safety, but psychological safety a feeling that a I'm I have an expectation of feeling secure and stable, and also I feel safe to be myself, be who I am, without a fear of retaliation of some sort. So that's psychological safety. We have a, we have a basic need for autonomy to feel that we have some agency or some input in making decisions that affect us in our lives. We have a basic need for identity, and, and I might clarify that by saying it's a need for a positive, coherent identity. So we, we try to structure our world in a way that makes sense for us and how we fit into it. And when someone, for instance, does something or seems to do something or seems to say something that threatens, even unconsciously, feels like a threat to one of those basic needs, we respond in fight flight. We respond in acute stress response. And that's typically where a lot of conflicts start is this perception of a threat to one's basic needs, goals, or values. Okay. You listed three of those needs. Can you share what are the other three? Sure. Well, we have a basic need for care or what we might call connection. So being part of groups and and feeling like we're cared about by other people. Uh, we have a basic need for stimulation, for feeling challenged, engaged, etc. 
And we have a basic need, at least in, in this culture, we have a basic need for growth and progress, a feeling that we're making some progress in life. And it doesn't mean financial progress. It doesn't mean a progress in a certain domain. It, it means progress in some way, like I'm, whether it's a, on a health domain or a self-care domain or my home domain or so, some feeling that I'm, I'm moving forward. And so most people have this basic need. Well, that's really interesting in terms of when you start to feel escalated, I think this is a, a really great framework in terms of like, hey, what's going on here? Oh, I, I feel that my autonomy is, is potentially being impeded yeah. here. That's what's going on. And, and that's why I'm getting a little bit like <laughs> going. So yeah. but maybe while we're there, do you have any tips for, hey, when you're in the moment and you're starting to feel uh, a little bit like you're approaching the furious? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you cool it off? Yeah. Good question. So number one, if you're noticing, I would say there's a little bit of prep work sometimes. If you're noticing that you're getting triggered on a regular basis by, by certain things, certain situations, certain people, you might do a little analysis, like you said, and just determine what is it that this person or that that rhetoric is, is triggering in me? What does it feel like it's threatening? And you can go through, you know, those kind of six basic needs or, or some basic goals that you have or values that you have and say, and start to, to understand like, is that a, is that a true threat? If it is a true threat, how do I know that it's truly threatening me? What are the consequences? Kind of unpack it a little bit. And you might, if you notice that you're feeling threatened by something, you might have a framework for what would be called cognitive reframing, or I sometimes call it soothing. So it's just a, like, for instance, if I'm in a situation at work and I'm feeling micromanaged and it's feeling like I'm not being trusted, that might be threatening my sense of identity as a worker there. It might also be threatening my sense of autonomy to control my own, you know, sort of work style, et cetera. And if I start to remind myself, wait a minute, just mentally, wait a minute, I'm still in control of my work situation. I have power. No one's taking away my power. I'm safe. I'm okay. I know who I am. Whatever the kind of thing is that you need to hear to soothe yourself, that's a cognitive reframing technique that can be important. And it's really, it's really unique to each person. They have to kind of figure out what is it that feels like it's a threat and how do I reframe that? The other things that I talk a lot about are, are breathing, which is, I think, something that a lot of people talk about when they start feeling like they're escalated. Focusing on your breath, you can do some basic breathing techniques like counting down three, two, one as you breathe, as you exhale, and counting up one, two, three as you inhale, and just focusing on that breath and just kind of staying calm. Another one is mindful speech. So being able to speak, you're going to slow down your speech a little bit so that you actually hear yourself enunciate words, articulate very clearly, and that process, the, any mindfulness techniques, whether it's breathing or speech mindfulness, helps to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. It gives the, gives, the, gives the brain a signal that it's okay to slow down. We're not in fight flight. We don't need to protect ourselves against the threat. So slowing down your breath and your speech and even your movement sometimes can actually help you signal to the brain that it's time to calm down a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's cool stuff. And I'm curious, could you share with us a cool story of, of some of these things really coming together for someone who used these principles to get through a, a tricky conflict situation? Well, it's hard for me to, to speak exactly on other people's experience. I can speak on my own. <laughs> I guess I definitely, you know, so I, I had, for instance, a difficult conversation even yesterday with an employee who gave me some feedback about something that I did as, you know, a leader and put her in an awkward position and it was it was tough for me to hear at first and i i was listening and i really my inclination just like most people's inclination is i really want to defend myself i really want to dismiss what she's saying almost reject it 
let her know you're incorrect. That's not what I said. That's not what I meant. Defend against. I started feeling my heart rate increase a little bit. So I use these techniques. I slowed down my speech. I waited and listened. I didn't defend. I, I very cognitively made a point not to defend myself and instead try to validate her. Slow down my speech, focus on my breath, and just calm. And then when she was done talking, I just tried to repeat back what I heard from her, made sure that I clearly understood it, and then validate her on some way. And I actually ended up agreeing with her on some level. I said, you know what, that you're right. I did put you in an awkward position and that wasn't my intention. And I didn't even realize I did it. It was definitely a blind spot. And thank you for bringing it to my attention. I'm not, I'm going to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And I gave her a little bit of a plan that I thought would be a good plan. And she agreed and that kind of thing. But that was, I was anytime that, especially for a leader, I think in my experience, it's very hard to get feedback sometimes because we have an identity as being the leader or the boss or something like that. And, uh, if someone's challenging that, giving us feedback, it's very easy to get triggered and to feel like, well, this person is challenging me on some level as being her boss or his boss or something. Well, thank you. And so then in order to have more of those positive conversations and outcomes, you outline 10 essential communication skills for resolving conflict. And I'm curious, it might be tricky to go through all 10 in the time we have available, but but what's maybe a couple that you think are super easy to improve with a couple quick practices or tactics that make a big difference. Okay. So one skill that I think is really important that I include in pretty much every training and coaching program that I, that I deliver is called validation. And there's some great, great material on validation, but it's really simple. I mean, essentially when someone gives you some piece of feedback and it's hard for you to hear, First of all, calmly listen. And, you know, some of those techniques we just talked about where you can start breathing and you can just kind of calm yourself down, maybe cognitive reframe things. Just breathe for a second and just listen. And when they're done, the validation part is number one, can you repeat back what you heard? So this is a form of reflective listening. So repeating back what you heard in some concise way so that they know you heard them and you also know that you heard them correctly because then they have the opportunity to say, no, that's not what I meant or that's not what I said. But, or they could say, yeah, that is what I, what I said. Yeah. And so they feel heard. Okay. So that's really important to calm someone, deescalate someone in a moment, especially if they're feeling a little emotionally triggered. And then if I could find some piece, like what we said in the beginning, if I could find something that I could find agreement with or some merit in what they're saying and let them know, you know what, that's important. You know what? I'm concerned about that too. Yeah. You know what? I think you're right that was a misstep on my part or something like anything that you can find agreement on. Again, that lowers the defenses and it opens up a space for being collaborative. And then the next part, I, I always say that there's two main parts to conflict resolution. One part is the care part. It always starts with care. And that's mean, that means listening, validating, trying to find alignment. So it's a showing that I'm here, I'm caring about what you're saying. And then the next part is, is solution which is a collaborative process. It shouldn't just be a sort of unilateral where I say, well, here's what I'm going to do. It should be, well, here's what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think about that? Or do you have any suggestions? And opening up that space for collaboration and creating a solution that seems to work for, for everyone. So those two pieces, validation, alignment, in, all in that care bucket. And then the next piece is working towards a solution of collaborating on a solution, being creative, maybe sometimes thinking outside the box. Those are two pieces that are really important. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, totally. I think those really do make a, a world of difference. And it often is a lot of fun to see what you can come up with yeah. together there. And now you also mention six 
classic conflict scenarios, criticism, passive-aggressive, passive-aggression, gaslighters, insubordination, conflict with the supervisor, and confronting a bully. First, just definitionally, I've heard a few different definitions for gaslighting and gaslighters. Let's lay it on us, Jeremy. How do you define gaslighting? Gaslighting essentially is a way of trying to call into question someone's reality. So if someone brings to you, hey, this is how I'm feeling, or this is what I experienced, or they're confronting you or giving you some feedback, essentially, and you say something like, well, that's crazy, or, well, that's just ridiculous. That didn't happen. Stop being so sensitive. Those types of things where you're basically calling into question the validity of someone's reality, that's gaslighting. Okay. And so when you find yourself in these scenarios, I'm curious to what extent are there some universal prescriptions versus specific prescriptions in terms of with criticism, do this versus gaslighting, do that? I have some formulas that I tend to use. So if I'm feeling like I'm getting criticism instead of gaslighting someone, what I have like a different, like a sequence that I might use. And one thing that I tend to focus on is focus is trying to separate behavior from interpretation. And what that means is when I'm hearing someone giving me feedback on something that I've done, like this is what happened yesterday, they might have a story or an interpretation or a judgment on the behavior that I did or what I said, what I did. And my job is not to internalize their story and their judgment and start making me feel a certain way about myself. And then I get triggered. My job instead, if I can, is to separate out what's the behavior that they're talking about, what I actually said, what I actually did and the interpretation or the judgment that they placed on it. The first part I can own. And if I can own that, if I can go, you know what, you're right, I did do that, I did say that. That helps a lot in de-escalating the situation because it helps people feel like I'm not gaslighting them and actually I'm owning up to the thing that I did. The next part, the interpretation part, I don't have to own because that's their interpretation. That was how they perceived it. What I can do with that part is I can reinterpret for them. Here's why I actually did it. And I can also reassure them. Let me just tell you that I didn't intend for that. I actually really do value you. And I'm, I apologize if I was not clear and it came across like I didn't value you or I didn't, I don't value your time. I really do value your time. I appreciate your time. And that wasn't my intention. And the reason that it happened was, and then you could give your real explanation. So reassurance and reinterpretation are what you can do for the judgment part. Ownership is what you can do for the behavior part. And that requires you separating those two things out, behavior and interpretation. That's a way to respond to someone's criticism. If you respond to someone's criticism with gaslighting, where you just immediately dismiss or reject them and you say, well, that's, that's ridiculous. That's un untrue. I didn't do that. Or I didn't do that. I didn't mean to do that. It's crazy that you think I did that. Those kind of things are very, very frustrating because it, it makes the person feel completely unheard, completely unvalued, and it will usually escalate the situation or create a lot of resentment. Mm -hmm. And and so if you are, I guess, I don't know, the victim or <laughs> the recipient of of gaslighting or or bullying behavior or passive aggression, so what are some of your your top tips in terms of how do you address that? Well, yeah, this is an important topic. I I've coached a lot of folks that are are recipients of chronic gaslighting and sometimes chronic bullying. If you're in a situation with someone who you generally trust, generally have a good rapport with and you just feel gaslit in that moment, certainly you can give them some feedback and say, you know what, I understand that this is feeling a little bit intense for you or, or it's triggering you in some way, and but it feels like you're not listening to what I'm saying, you're not hearing me, and I, I'd 
how can I get this across in a way that we can communicate better about it? And you kind of call it out in the moment, because if you have the rapport and the trust with that person, you have a relationship with that person, it helps to highlight that and maybe they can calm down. And if they can't, then maybe it's time, you know, let's, let's pick this conversation up tomorrow. I think it's probably better if we pause for a second or something like that. But if you're, if you're dealing with someone who's a chronic gaslighter, who you really never feel heard by, they never are willing to own up to their behaviors admit that they've done anything wrong at all. It's always someone else's fault or et cetera, et cetera. That's a tough one to correct in terms of the relationship. And what I usually work with on with people is they need to set boundaries for themselves as a form of self-care, as a form of self-esteem, because self-esteem can be very much hurt in relationships where there's constant gaslighting or even constant bullying going on. So really making sure that you take care of yourself by setting some clear boundaries. And sometimes with gaslighting, a lot of a lot of what I hear with gaslighting is someone will make an agreement with someone, and then two weeks later, it's completely it's out the window because the gaslighter, you know, basically says, "Oh, it never happened. We never talked about that. It's just you're crazy." And it's really important for someone who's dealing with a gaslighter to start writing things down a lot. Unfortunately, taking notes, making sure that they can check with themselves. Not that they're going to convince the gaslighter that they're wrong or something, but that they can check with themselves and go, "You know what? I am right. We did say this. I wrote it down here." so that I know I'm not crazy Yeah. so that I don't internalize this person's story that I'm crazy or I'm my memory's going or something like that. I need to set boundaries for myself so I can take care of myself. Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you. And maybe if we back it up a little bit in terms of before we even get into a conflict scenario, you've got a, a whole section in terms of strategies to prevent conflicts that I was most intrigued by Letting go of resentment and setting clear expectations. What are your your top best practices for for these two conflict preventers? Well, resentment's the tough one, right, to let go of. Because when I talk about letting go of resentment, people often push back and say, "But if I stop resenting them, then they won." Or if I stop resenting them, it means it means that I'm either I'm saying they're right, or or I'm not holding them accountable anymore or something like that. And really resentment is like serving yourself poison. It's not doing anything to the other person. It's just hurting yourself. You know, it's just this sort of ball of energy that you're holding on to. So, you know, if you want to confront someone that you have rapport with, I think that's important if you're feeling resentful and you can do some reconciliation. One exercise that I have people do sometimes is I do a, a writing exercise, especially if if it's not someone that they can actually do any kind of conflict process with, especially if it's someone who maybe passed away, like they're resentful of their father or their mother who's not with us anymore, something like that. They'll do a writing exercise where they actually write to the person, they actually write a letter to the person saying everything that that's in their heart, on their chest, everything that they really felt hurt about, et cetera. And they don't send it. They just put it in a drawer. And then they write another letter from that person to themselves in a way that they think that they would like to hear from the other person. So whatever they would like to hear, what would it sound like if they really heard you and they really, they really wanted to resolve this? They really wanted to get back in a place of trust and care with you what would that sound like? What would that letter response sound like? And I have them write that letter and it opens up the heart a little bit. And then I have them write one final letter back to the person in response to that. And again, opening up their heart this time, being caring and, and potentially vulnerable. And so doing some sort of writing exercise sometimes can help if that person is not available for it. Mm -hmm. Setting expectations is really important to prevent resentment because a lot of times people will have expectations that they never set with anyone that they just assumed were there. And they, so they hold someone else to their standards without getting an agreement on it. 
and then they create resentment in, in that way. But so I, so I think it's really important when you're noticing you're having conflicts with someone to sit down with them and start to start kind of looking at what do you feel like are the standards or expectations here in our relationship or at our organization or in this workplace or something? Let's make sure they're really clear and we're aligned on that because a lot of times that process of setting expectations with someone will, will bring out how misaligned some of the things are. Well, I never knew you expected that of me or I think that's unreasonable or, oh, you'd expect that. Okay, I can do that. I didn't know that. I didn't know you wanted me to do that. And so that process of transparency and clarity is really important. Mm-hmm. And so if you're working with someone and, and you, you're, you're trying to, to follow all these best practices and you're just not making much headway, like someone else just does not want to cooperate or play ball. I mean, how do you think about tough cases and when you want to walk away and find an alternative? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of conflict resolution has to do with motivation. Every relationship, whether it's a relationship with a company, with a boss, with a partner, with a spouse, every relationship has some cost benefit analysis. And the the benefits, the value you get from the relationship has to outweigh, I think, by some measure, the cost of managing the relationship. In other words, the stress that you get from it. So if you have a really low stress relationship and you get a lot of value from it, your motivation to stay in that relationship is going to be high and vice versa, it's going to be low. So I, I sometimes work with folks and companies that, for instance, say, I don't want to resolve this conflict with this person because I don't need to work with them. I don't need to talk to them. There's no downside of me just not having any conversations with them. And yet the company goes, no, they need to work together. So this individual has very low motivation to resolve. And with low motivation, it's going to be very tough for them to do some of the uncomfortable stuff that conflict resolution processes tend to bring people into. So there's a level of discomfort that you have to look at motivation. So if someone says, you know, I'm just not motivated to resolve, then sometimes what I'll do is I'll work with them and understand, well, what are you motivated to do? Do you want, like, how do we reframe motivation? What do you want here? What kind of work life do you want, for instance? Or what kind of life at at home do you want? Paint a vision for me. Tell me how it would look. And we create a vision and we go, what steps can we get, can we take to get there? Or if those steps aren't possible, then is this the right place for you? So I ask them, is this the right place for you? Is this the right relationship? Is this the right organization for you to be in? And sometimes a lot of, a lot of times when they get to the point where there's just no motivation to resolve, they can admit, you know, I'm not sure that this is the right thing. And sometimes I've coached people out of relationships, out of, out of their work situations where they just didn't feel confident in doing it, but they really wanted to leave. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that's where, that's where to lead. They just need some help. All right. Well, Jeremy, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention about conflict before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I would just say I'll reiterate these two main buckets of conflict resolution when people are resolving conflicts, care and then solution. I just want to reiterate, don't skip the care part and jump straight to problem solving. Whenever possible, do the care part first, meaning listen to someone, validate them, let them know that you care, that you agree with some part, you can find merit in what they're saying, and then open up a space for collaborative solution building. All right. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Boy, I think the Robbers Cave experiment uh, by Sharif back in the 1950s was a seminal work in intergroup contact theory. I think that's a really important work and the whole field of intergroup contact has emerged from that, from that basic uh, seminal work. And a favorite book? Getting to Yes, right behind me. Getting to Yes is a really foundational book on, on negotiation and conflict resolution. I think that's a really important one. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? When I do coaching work, I use Google Spreadsheet. I track all our progress for my coaching clients in there. I'm sure there's other platforms that are more robust, but 
I love to use something like a spreadsheet to track progress with every coaching client I have. So I know exactly what we're doing and what action items we're, we're using and, and what commitments they're making. Uh-huh. And a favorite habit? Meditation, morning meditation. And is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often. I have just a tendency to consistently remind people to put care first. Mm-hmm. And that, that seems to resonate, put care first. All right. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Uh, you can go to our website, pollockpeacebuilding.com. I'm also at coachjeremypollock.com. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Final challenge to be awesome at your job, stay open-minded with people's perspectives. Don't think that your perspective is the only right one. There might be multiple right perspectives. All right. Jeremy, this has been fun. I wish you much luck in all of your conflict resolving. Thanks, Pete. I appreciate it. I really appreciated Jeremy's take on those core needs there because I think that is very helpful in identifying, whoa, I'm starting to get heated. What's going on here? Oh, okay. Okay. I'm feeling a threat to my safety or autonomy or identity or care or stimulation or growth. That's what's going on. Okay. Fair enough. And just understanding that makes a world of difference in and of itself. So you're better equipped to understand where you're coming from, what's going on and how you can diffuse things from there. So great stuff from Jeremy. Again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links to Alan's we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP705. Hope to catch you next time. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.